Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Well, hey, welcome, and thank you for joining me. I'm Chris Shandro, the pastor at Compass, and I'm glad you're with me today because we're talking about a serious and important topic. Because a month ago, an 18-year-old with an assault-style rifle went into Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas, where he shot and killed 19 children and two teachers, in addition to injuring 17 others. And this was after he'd killed his grandmother at their house. The shooting was shocking, but not just because of the children who were killed or because it was the third deadliest school shooting in American history. It was also shocking because it came just 10 days after a different mass shooting in Buffalo, New York, where another 10 people had just been killed. It was shocking because it was the 212th mass shooting that had happened in just the first six months of 2022 here in the United States. It was shocking because it was the 27th school shooting of 2022 that had ended in either injury or death. I mean, that's the equivalent of more than one school shooting where someone died or was injured every single week of this year so far. And after the shooting, a predictable pattern emerged. People came out on either side of the issue. There were those saying that the answer to this is to legislate more gun safety laws. And then there were those on the other side saying that the answer is not to infringe on the rights of law-abiding gun owners, but to do a better job of treating mental health issues that might be at the root cause of this. Now, in the middle of all of this, I shared on social media some gun violence statistics that I thought were informative and I thought were kind of innocuous, which is one of the reasons I typically have my wife check my social media posts before I put them up to know whether I should. But I got this message in reply and it said this. It said, you do realize that this is a sin problem, right? Banning guns is not the solution. With the now open borders we have, criminals will get guns no matter what kind of gun laws are in place. And the only solution is people getting right with Jesus, period. Now, I think that everyone can agree that children should not be shot at in school. But we can't seem to find agreement on the cause of or the solution to this problem. And even if everyone in the church could agree that the only ultimate solution is Jesus, what does that really mean? Does it mean that Christians should be silent on gun violence as if there's nothing that we could do about it anyway? I mean, modern evangelicals don't seem to have a problem loudly and publicly denouncing abortion or gay rights. Is there something different about guns that only salvation can fix and and therefore we, we shouldn't pursue real world solutions? I mean, even among those who think Christians should be active in all of this, the divisions that exist in the rest of the world, they also exist within the church. And some in the church take some pretty radical positions. I mean, check this out. A member of Congress said this two weeks ago at a Christian family conference at a large church in Chicago. On Twitter, a lot of the the little Twitter trolls, they like to say, oh, Jesus didn't need an AR-15. How how many AR-15s do you think Jesus would have had? Well, he didn't have enough to keep his government from killing him. So... While that may not be the most theologically correct or sensitive thing that was ever said in a church, the merging of Jesus and guns in the Evangelical Church of America is not new. I mean, this sign is on the bus of a Georgia candidate for governor. 
It says, Jesus guns babies. And more and more, the evangelical Christian position on guns is that our right to have them comes just below our love for Jesus and just above our love for babies. So on the issue of guns, there's a lot of confusion in the church on what matters the most. Is it gun control or is it gun rights? And I'm not really going to talk about either today. I don't have a political solution for you. What I want to do is look at guns and gun culture through the lens of the gospel. And to do that, I want to ask you a question, and it's this. What if Jesus had been killed with a gun? To get to the answer, we need to start by looking at where people find their biblical support for guns and for gun rights. And there are these two main places where Jesus specifically speaks about weapons. And it starts in Matthew 10, verse 34. Jesus said, Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Now, in the ancient Roman world that Jesus lived in and that Jesus grew up in, obviously there were no guns. But there were weapons. And the weapon that was widely available to both soldiers and civilians was a sword. And so the primary argument in support of guns from the Bible would be that anytime Jesus speaks positively or affirmatively about his followers owning or using a sword, that we could parallel that to owning or using a gun today. And honestly, that's not really a bad way of looking at things. But what we need to do next is to really understand what Jesus is saying when he says, I came to bring a sword. And we do that by looking at the next thing that he said in Matthew 10, 34. And this is what he said. Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. Now this is strong language. It doesn't seem characteristic of you know, the peace-loving Jesus that, that we know or are familiar with. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword? Honestly, it sounds more like the violent revolutionary language that ancient Jewish people expected from a Messiah who was going to come and rescue them from Roman oppression with military might. Honestly, it's kind of the same nationalist language that's used by some Christians today in support of guns and violence and war. But Jesus is saying something completely different. He's not using the language of the sword to advocate violence, but he's using it as a metaphor. Jesus is telling his followers that when they follow him, that they will face conflict and division. He knew that when the kingdom of God expands and that when people follow his way of being in the world, that conflict and division will follow, even in families. And the sword is the language of conflict. Jesus is not encouraging his followers to use weapons, but he's preparing them for what they're going to face. But while Jesus may not have been advocating for literal weapons ownership in Matthew chapter 10, there's a second passage where it seems like maybe he is. And that's in Luke chapter 22, verse 35. And this is what happened. So then Jesus asked them, when, you sent out your, when I sent you out to preach the good news and you did not have money, a traveler's bag, or a pair of sandals, did you need anything? No, they replied. But now, he said, take your money and a traveler's bag, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. 
Now this, this is different than Matthew 10. This seems like a pretty explicit command, doesn't it? If you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. Now, just a, a straight up surface reading of the Bible. I mean, wouldn't this mean that every Christian should own a gun or other weapon based on the command of Jesus? Well, let's look at this in context, in the context of which he said it, so we can get a better understanding. Now, this passage, it takes place during the Last Supper. It's at the end of Jesus's ministry and right before he's going to be arrested and crucified. And while he's sharing his last words with the disciples, he references something that we have been talking about for weeks in Matthew 10 as part of our Get Along message series. He references a time years before the Last Supper when Jesus sent his disciples out on their own to proclaim the kingdom of God. And he told them then not to take anything with them. He said, don't take any money, don't take any food, don't take extra clothes, don't take any protection because God would provide for them. See, Jesus wanted his disciples to experience and understand God's provision in Matthew chapter 10, this, this event he's referencing. So why is he telling them that they need swords now? Well, let's look at the rest of it in Luke 22. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. For the time has come for this prophecy about me to be fulfilled. He was counted among the rebels. Yes, everything written about me by the prophets will come true. Jesus told them to buy swords, but then he also told them why. Because the prophecy about him being counted among rebels was about to come true. Here's the thing. Jesus knew that the time of his death as a rebel and a criminal on the cross was right around the corner. It meant that the time of him being with his disciples physically on earth was coming to an end. And Jesus is saying this to his disciples. He's saying, remember when I sent you out on your own years ago? Remember how you didn't have to take anything with you because things were so good? Well, all of that is about to change. Because just like in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is again preparing his disciples for what they are going to face. And again, he uses the sword as a metaphor for that conflict. How do we know that? Well, look at what the disciples say in response in Luke twenty-two thirty-eight. 38. Look, Lord, they replied, we have two swords among us. That's enough, he said. Okay, so right after Jesus told them to buy swords, they're like, oh, well, Jesus, look, we already have two. And Jesus was like, sweet, that'll do. That's enough. Which raises a question. If Jesus wanted them to sell their cloaks and buy swords, why didn't he have them actually go do it? Why didn't he send them out to buy swords? Only two of the disciples were armed and the rest of them weren't. But the other 10 never went out to sell their cloaks and buy swords. Jesus never gave them the opportunity. Why would he tell them to go do something and then be like, ah, never mind, we're all good? And then another question. Why were two swords enough? If Jesus wanted them to be able to defend themselves, why wouldn't he want all of them to have swords? Why wouldn't he want all 12 of them to be able to defend themselves? And the reason is that Jesus wasn't talking about the disciples arming themselves. 
he was trying to clue them into a spiritual reality using the same kind of metaphorical language that he always used when he was teaching. The same language he used in Matthew chapter 10 when he sent them out the first time. And there's one more reason that we can be certain that Jesus wasn't advocating the use of weapons for attack or self-defense when he said this. And that's what happened just a few hours later when he took the disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray after the Last Supper. See, the story continues when Judas and a group of Jewish soldiers arrived to arrest Jesus and take him into custody. We see in Matthew chapter 26, verse 50, that then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us? And he would send them instantly. But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? So Peter one of Jesus' disciples, one of the two disciples who had a sword, he whipped it out and he attacked one of the men who were coming to arrest Jesus. And Jesus didn't join the attack. He didn't call the other disciples who had swords to jump in and help. Instead, he rebuked Peter for depending on his weapon and resorting to violence instead of trusting in God. And then Jesus says that those who live by the sword die by the sword, that those who want to live by the rule of protecting and defending themselves by force, that they can do that. But that's a different path than the one walked by Jesus. Jesus's path is a path of faith and trust in God. It's not a path of faith and trust in swords. And while swords were the weapon of choice in Jesus's day, they weren't the only weapon available or the only weapon used. There was another weapon used by Rome to enforce its laws, its security, and to enforce its will on people. There was another weapon Rome used to discourage crime and rebellion through the threat of violence and punishment. And that weapon was a cross. It was the cross of crucifixion. That was the ultimate threat against the violent criminals and insurrectionists of Jesus' day. And a lot of bad guys who didn't obey the law died on a Roman cross. Jesus died on a Roman cross. And to understand how Jesus would respond to the gun culture of our context, we should understand, understand how he responded to the weapon culture, the cross culture of his context. We can see that in Matthew chapter 10, 38. Jesus said, if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Before Jesus' death on the cross, he'd already been talking about crosses. And everyone in Jesus' day knew that a person who took up a cross, that they were carrying it to their execution. If you carried a cross... It meant Rome had beaten you, that you had lost your fight. You were as good as dead. And Jesus said that if his followers don't take up a cross voluntarily, they aren't worthy of being his. Now look, if I were Jesus, and if I knew someone was coming for me to nail me to a cross, I might be thinking that we need to get some crosses of our own, some bigger crosses than theirs, so that they know not to mess with us. Because the only thing that can stop a bad guy with a cross is a good guy with a cross, right? 
And if you want this cross, you're gonna have to pry it out of my cold, dead hands. I'd fight. I would defend myself. I would hurt those who were coming to hurt me because they're obviously in the wrong. But that's not what Jesus asked of his followers. And it's not what Jesus did. He did the opposite. He embraced his cross. I mean, he already said that he could have thousands of angels at his defense instantly. But he didn't do that. He could have taken that cross and turned it around and pointed it right at his enemies. But he didn't. He took the cross, the most powerful weapon that Rome had, and he pointed it at himself. And then he said this, My followers will do the same thing or they aren't worthy of being mine. Taking up our cross like Jesus means that we lay down our own lives, our own desires, and our own rights to follow him. Giving up our rights in order to love God and love our neighbor, to even love our enemies, to love those who threaten us, who scare us, and oppose us. So let's go back to the question I asked at the very beginning. What if Jesus had been killed with a gun instead of a cross? What if he'd been executed by a firing squad instead of crucifixion? Well, Jesus took the cross, an instrument of violence, and he turned it into a symbol of God's love. He took Rome's most powerful weapon and disarmed it by refusing to use it in the way that empires and that powerful people do. And instead, he took it and he made the cross a symbol of peace. And my guess is that he would do the same thing with any weapon of death and violence, including a gun. I think if Jesus were killed by a gun, we would be wearing them around our necks, getting them tattooed on our wrists as symbols of love and peace, and that we would never even imagine using one against another person, much less demanding more of them. I mean, can you imagine a resurrected Jesus calling on his followers to advocate for the use of crucifixion on other people in the name of empire or self-defense or even personal rights? And if that's true, why would his followers push a culture of any weapon, whether it's a cross or a sword or a gun? I know this is a sticky subject because we've been told the political lie that the only solutions are that either everyone has a gun or that no one has a gun. And and I know that there are well-meaning people with opposing views on this. Do I think that people shouldn't be able to hunt or go target shooting or collect or shoot recreationally? Of course I'm not. I actually own a firearm. I've gone target shooting, and even though I never carry it, I also have my concealed carry license. And I tell you this, so that you know I'm not just beating some ideological drum. I'm striving to live in the way of the cross. And this is just my takeaway, but I'd give up my gun right here and right now if it would help save the the life of one single child in a school. And I wouldn't do it because I think it's the right thing politically or because I think guns are evil or that the people who own them are bad. I would do it Because the cross of Christ compels me to lay down my rights for the good of others. The cross compels me to give up my desires to love other people better. The cross of Christ compels me to die to myself and my rights 
to go undefended. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. And he promised that when we lay down our life, that's when we'll truly find it. As this debate continues in our country, may we be people who are led by the cross of Christ and the gospel. May our thoughts and actions be driven by the gospel and by the transformation of our hearts rather than our personal rights or our political ideology. And may God have mercy on those who have suffered and will continue to suffer from the effects of gun violence in our nation and in our world. My prayer is that the church of Jesus Christ will be led by the cross and led by the gospel. And may we lead people into a relationship with Jesus and with each other that ensures that events like Uvalde will never happen again. I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com. 